Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts and residents in pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Wednesday, May 22nd, we're gonna be talking trademarks, copyrights, how to know when to do it, what IP can you do it with, and the common pitfalls that most people fall into when it comes to intellectual property. 101 with Yasmin Salman Hamdan, and you're not gonna wanna miss that on Wednesday, May 22nd. And then finally, to finish off the expert week on Thursday, May 23rd, we're gonna be talking with Pamela Slim, about how to monetize and scale your IP and position it and package it in a way that is unlike anything you've really been taught before. Incredible value from Pamela and all of our experts on our Expert Advantage Week. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage Workshop Series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Okay, so we all know, we've talked a lot about the fact that we have a loneliness epidemic, people are struggling to make friends and make connections, but what does the research say about what's going on and how this works? Well, it turns out that our guest today, Nathan Demers, is in the position to be able to tell us that. His organization, Grit Digital Health, looks at connection from a research perspective and is able to design community interactions uh, based on that research. So that just is going to be a big help for us to understand better what's really going on and what we can do about it. And he's going to share that with us today on this episode of The Community Experience. Welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. Tony, question, burning question for you. Yes. Um, as, a, as a community professional like myself, when you have an idea for new programming or something that you think your community will really enjoy, how do you go about creating that? I feel like I am a little bit impulsive about my decisions when it comes to making community programming. Of course, I'm, I'm trying to have the needs of the community in mind, but usually, basically, I just get really excited about something and then just jump right into trying it. <laughs> Same. I think, I think a lot of us digital community builders are guilty of just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And honestly, it's advice I give new community managers and community owners, builders, because it's a great way to just kind of test things out. But that's also why I'm super excited about our guest today. Nathan Demers is a PsyD, so he has a doctorate of psychology. 
and he's the VP of Clinical Programs and Strategic Partnering at Grit Digital Health in Denver, Colorado. And I actually know him from some consulting I did with him pre-pandemic, as we'll get into. But what's especially interesting about him and his story and what Grit Digital Health does is they use actual research-based science and data to kind of help navigate the programming they create. And the app we're going to talk about a lot today called Nod or HeyNod, heynod.com, if you want to learn more, is technology that helps adolescents, in particular college students, learn how to make friends in real life because the data shows that adolescents and even all of us oldies, all us adults, don't actually know how to make friends in real life. And their app helps you, You, it's it sounds like a catch-22, but you use an app to then learn how to rely on technology less. I am super excited. And just as a aside, you will, in this conversation, hear Nathan use the abbreviation SES a lot. And in case you don't know what that means, like I didn't, I'll save you the Google. It means socioeconomic status. Jillian, what do you say? Shall we get into the interview with Nathan? Let's talk to Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to connect again, even though it's post-pandemic and we're virtual now. It's better than nothing. <laughs> it's so true. Great to meet you virtually, Nathan. I'm uh, excited to see what uh, what you you and Jillian can share about uh, your in-person relationship. I haven't met Jillian in person yet, so this is just, it's very exciting to meet somebody who's met her. So I know Nathan through some consulting I did a while back, pre-pandemic, with a app that his company, Grit digital health created. And I was helping with an in-person ambassador program. And it's just such a really interesting program and the reasoning behind it and what it does. So Nathan, do you kind of want to explain who you are and what you do and and a little bit about what about Nod? I'm happy to. And that's why I'm here after all, I'd say. <laughs> so a, a little bit about me. So again, Nathan Demers, I'm a clinical psychologist. And throughout my career, I've worked in a number of quote unquote traditional settings. So working, you know, providing therapy, college campuses, therapeutic boarding schools. But I really found a passion for preventative mental health and well-being, if you will. And the analogy I always use is medicine realized that they'd much rather treat high cholesterol than wait till someone's having a heart attack. And I think we can do a much better job in mental health and treating the precursors to mental health and providing tools, tips, resources, and psychoeducation to help folks long before that crisis occurs. So I've been lucky enough to be working with Grit Digital Health, where we've been doing that for the last five, five plus years now, which has been great. And to jump into Nod, if that's where you want me to go next, Jillian, I'm happy to. Yeah, that'd be great. But specifically, Nod is an app we developed that is evidence-based. We're very proud of that. And it is designed to combat the issue of loneliness. So the backstory there is we actually partnered with an organization called Hope Lab, which is a nonprofit social innovation lab based in San Francisco. And their sole mission is they're incredible. They're like the unicorn org that it's awesome. So they're funded by the Omidyar Network, and their goal is to help and better the mental health and well-being of adolescents and young adults. And 
basically they did a systems mapping exercise, which is where you look at every sort of input that can impact some sort of variable. Again, their variable was mental health and well-being along, among adolescents. And they did this. It's an incredible systems mapping exercise. It's like literally 30 yards wide and like 10 feet tall. And they looked at all the inputs negatively and positively impacting the well-being of adolescents. And what they found was loneliness was actually one of the biggest contributing negative factors that is sort of weighing down adolescent mental health and well-being. And not the beautiful thing, but the interesting thing about intervening with loneliness is it impacts everyone. It's a human condition. It cuts across race, gender, SES, geography, sort of take your pick. So with that, Hope Lab knew that if we intervene and could make something that can move the needle, even one, five, never mind 10 or 20%, we can have a huge impact across this system. Because we can't, of course, impact someone's SES status or where they live, their zip code and things like that. So they partnered with us because at Grit Digital Health, back in 2015, we launched a platform called UET College, which is all about supporting the mental health and well-being of college students, as one might guess. And in parallel, we were actually interested in tackling loneliness at the very same point in time, but we weren't at the same place until we actually met each other. Um, a consultant connected us and we hit it off and we did a one-year full all in research and design process. We talked to over 50 experts. We interviewed and co-designed with over a hundred students across the country. And our end result is not. That's amazing. So I think it's important too, to talk about how Nod sort of came about and please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I remember <laughs> way back pre-pandemic feels like, feels like 10 years ago is a, a big issue was just that adolescents going into college did not have the skill set of just knowing how to make connections with other students, uh, classmates, and and kind of find their their group, find their friends in school, which obviously impacted their feelings of loneliness and even to the point of you know suicidal ideation or suicide. I, I remember that being a part of it. Is that correct? Yeah, your your memory is serving you well. Um, but to, just just to zoom out a little. So first off, Hope Lab and we both identified like loneliness is something that we think really should be addressed. So we started peeling back the layers of the onion and doing a lot of academic research. And pretty quickly, we found that Gen Z is actually the loneliest living generation. And I think that's a pretty common misperception in that most people think that loneliness is an affliction of aging populations. And while Aging populations are lonely. Gen Z is actually the loneliest. And the previous Surgeon General, I guess it's two previous Surgeon Generals now with a couple changes of administration, came out saying that loneliness is actually an epidemic and it's the equivalent of smoking about a pack of cigarettes per day. So with that, we knew that, that we had to act. And what we found in our research, the unique piece about college, specifically when students are entering college, is it's a unique point in time in that students want to form friendships. They want to succeed and find their people. But then on the other hand, we know that it's an amazing time of sort of upheaval. There are many are moving away from home for the first time. They've had the same friend group, let's say from K through 12. And let's say I'm from small town America and all of a sudden I'm going to a large state school. I'm one of 
two, three, 10,000 incoming students, that can be incredibly overwhelming. And then furthermore, when we look at the messages that media portrays, college is supposed to be the best four years of your life. You look at movies like Pitch Perfect, where, you know, there's that classic college fair, student walks in, finds their people, has, you know, not only one movie, but a a sequel and a trequel, or that's not a word, but I think you know what I'm talking about. So we know that college is great for many people, but that is not every student's experience. And we heard that there's a lot of pressure students are feeling to get to campus and find those people. A quote that really summed it up that we heard in our research was, you know, I look at my dad and he's still having reunions with his best friends 40 years later. I have to find that. And if I don't, I'm a failure or something's wrong with me. And then another common narrative and a misperception was that students said, you know what, I wasn't a social butterfly in high school, but college is going to be different. But the reality is we know nothing magical happens in those three months between graduating as a senior and walking on campus three months later in the fall. So if a student doesn't have those skills that they need to form the building blocks of friendships, unfortunately, we are not setting them up for success. And there's another common misperception where the idea is like, let's have a, a movie night or a dinner fair, just put a bunch of students in a room together and they'll make friends. And the research actually shows that if I'm experiencing lonely loneliness, that's not only not helpful, that can actually make it worse because I'm surrounded by people and I don't have the skills to connect. And students can, you know, very sadly in some ways, draw the incorrect assumption that either this isn't the place for me and they might look to transfer that doesn't happen. Or they might say something's wrong with me. And you know what, I'm just never going to have those satisfying social connections. And it's not surprising that loneliness is a precursor for anxiety, depression, substance use, and suicidality, because it can start that downward spiral. Do you find, Nathan, that there is a common sense that, that people expect that they're supposed to know how to do things like make friends in those kinds of environments, and that there's that there's shame attached to if they struggle to that? It's a great question, Tony. And I do think there is unfortunately shame around, you know, not having the relationships that one wants. I don't think anyone raises their hand saying, I want to be the lonely person. Social support is, is so important, as I know you have a whole podcast around it. But furthermore, I just think about college is sort of made for extroverts. And the very important thing to know about loneliness is it's in the eye of the beholder. So should have done this sooner, but here's the definition of loneliness, operational definition. It's the gap in the relationship which one has in those which they desire. Why that is so important is if I'm a student and let's say I'm a little bit more introverted and I'm alone on a Friday night or maybe even a whole weekend, if I have several friends that I can turn to in that time of need, I might not be experiencing loneliness. And then on the other side of the equation, I could be the star quarterback. I could be beloved by campus, valedictorian. You know, it seems like everyone just loves me and I have everything, all my ducks in a row. But if I don't have the depth of relationships that I crave, I'm actually experiencing loneliness. And that's so important to remember because what quote unquote people 
think loneliness looks like is not what students are portraying. 67% of students, this is pre-pandemic, endorsed feeling loneliness. It's from the American College Health Association National Survey. So when you think of 60% of a college student body, we don't think of 67% in their dorm rooms alone at night. We know a lot of students are putting on a smile and a happy face and getting out into the world, but they are experiencing loneliness. And unfortunately, all those negative correlates that are associated with it. I feel like that's huge because... Uh, and and this maps across different environments too, right? That in the even in the corporate workplace or in other environments, just the fact that people are talking to each other and they're socializing doesn't mean that they're not lonely. And you could very easily kind of misidentify what's going on. But if it's a perception thing, that also means that perhaps there are avenues to addressing it that the solutions aren't necessarily just get everyone to make more friends. It might be, let's figure out how to help these people better recognize the connections they already have. Is that kind of a direction you guys are looking at? Yeah, it is. And that's really what Nod's based on. And I know I feel like we're doing a Quentin Tarantino movie where we're mixing up the order of things, but <laughs> just to, um, you know, share a little bit about what Nod's about. It's, it's exactly what you just shared there, Tony. It's really getting down to what are the building blocks of friendship and how can we provide a scaffolded approach to allow students to get out in the world and simply try mini experiments, if you will, to build those relationships. So the app actually has three main components. So the first is testimonials. So one thing we heard is that students don't want to hear about loneliness from me or either of you. You know, we're all old, washed up people. Even if we think we're cool, we're not anymore. That's the reality. I'm not like regular moms, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, me either. I'm a cool dad, I'm right? cool mom. <laughs> <laughs> So students wanted to hear from other students and they wanted to hear that, you know what, I'm not the only one. And it was fascinating in our research when we made Nod that students would say, you know what, I need Nod, I need Nod, I need an app to help me with this, but nobody else does because everyone else has it all figured out. And we know that that's simply not true. So a lot of quotes and testimonials we got from students simply normalize the experience of loneliness. Simply sharing a story of, you know, it took me three, four, five months or even the end of my first semester to find those relationships that I want goes a really long way. So students don't feel flawed if they don't experience that success right off the bat. And then secondly, what we do is provide students ideas to get out into the real world and practice the building blocks of friendships. We know when someone's anxious, our brains obviously aren't working on all cylinders. It can be really hard to think of new ideas to get out there. And what Nod does is you can actually rank how competent or confident you feel in terms of social relationships. And then we recommend ways to get out into the real world. So if I'm you know, very introverted and I'm not feeling confident, it might start with something super small, like try smiling at five people today. Versus if, you know, I'm feeling good and I really want to deepen my relationships, it might talk about something of try sitting down with a student you've never met at the dining hall today and just practice that. Those ideas go such a long way in giving students that little nudge to step slightly outside their comfort zone and try practicing some of these techniques. And all of the techniques are rooted in the science of social connections, mindfulness-based self-compassion, as well as cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's not like we just made up a bunch of things. We turn to the science to make sure that these indeed are the building blocks of friendship. 
And then thirdly, we actually know that the way I process a social interaction is actually more important than how that social interaction goes. So quick example, let's just say I said, hey, Tony and Joe, when you're in Denver, I'd love to get a cup of coffee. And you said, no, I could internally say, you know what, Tony and Jillian hate me. I'm never going to ask anyone for a cup of coffee again because I'm a big loser. Obviously, that's going to have some ramifications on my self uh, image, if you will. On the other side, I could say, you know what, Tony and Jill, they're here for work. They're probably going to be super busy. We're still kind of in the midst of a pandemic. You know what? I'll ask them next time. That's going to have a very different implication on how I'm going to move forward with my social interactions. So we created reflections, which create a space to both A, help students celebrate their wins. I'm sure you're all familiar with the concept of the ever rising bar. I have no friends. I want one friend. Now I have one friend. Now I want five. Now I have five. Now I want 10. And I constantly feel like a failure. So with that, we want to say good job for throwing yourself out there. Even if it didn't go well, you know what? You're trying and you're making progress. And then on the other side of things, if an interaction doesn't go well for whatever reason, we want to help students reflect on that and get out of that negative thought pattern. So we have a really fun game. For example, it's, it's actually whack-a-mole. Who doesn't love playing whack-a-mole? And what we do is we draw the parallel between negative automatic thoughts and playing the game whack-a-mole, saying, you know, some of those thoughts that might be popping up right now, you know what? Treat them just like whack-a-mole. Give yourself a pat on the back for trying. Do your best to get on the horse and try again tomorrow. Those three things go such a long way in helping students take a step back and be willing to actually get out into the world and practice some of these skills. The reflections piece of the app, I've had the privilege to get to use the app and really understand how it worked. And first of all, before I forget, let me just say the artwork. I just love it. The two flamingos on roller skates are still my like hands down favorite. So I have the button still. Yeah, it's just so cute. The reflections piece is so powerful, just um, to your point, to let someone get a little perspective on how social interactions go. Because you're right, we all interpret them differently, and then that changes how we try the next time, or, or we just don't. And I think it's so important, especially with the the Zoomers, as I heard someone call Gen Z, and I can't stop. So that's... My daughter said, hey, boomer to me once. And I was like, do you even know what that means? Like my parents are boomers. So then I called her, hey, Zoomer. And she was just like, ah, it was so funny. But anyways, I digress. I think just, you know, because the Zoomers have, they've grown up with technology. And so Nod is so genius because it uses the evidence-based data and, you know, like you were saying, just these, those modalities to help them kind of use what's comfortable for them, which is their phone in front of their face and use it to get off of it, which is almost, it's kind of funny, but it's the best way to teach them because it's like, here's an app. And they're like, yes. And it's like, well, you're not, this isn't a social network. We're going to teach you how to put this down, (laughs) go and talk to another human and then come back and like process the information, which is just genius. Thanks, Jill. And that's really at the heart of all of our work at Grid Digital Health and that I firmly believe and our team does it. If we don't meet young people where they are, which is on technology, we're not going to meet them. But again, the the second part of that is so important is our goal is not to keep people on apps or in our websites. It's to get them out into the real world to connect with real people. 
And I'd love to go back just to the, the illustrations that you mentioned, Jillian. So in our research, we did so much work to really make sure that this app would be very inclusive because we know, especially college student bodies, there's so many different experiences in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, SES, geography, international students. And we tested a lot of different motifs, if you will. And what we landed on, and for those of you who haven't seen it, go to haynod.com. You can check out some of the images. But we went with a theme called Awkward Animals. So we have like a hippo driving a Jeep. We have a pizza and a pineapple hanging out. But they're very inclusive in that touch of awkwardness that's in there actually leans into the fact that making friendships is awkward. It can feel weird and it makes students feel much more comfortable approaching this topic. We couldn't go with like a suit and tie buttoned up approach because that would have been pretty intimidating to students. So that's the level of detail that we went into to make sure that this is inclusive. And awkward animals also cuts across all those different identities. And specifically with all our research, we made sure that about half, we oversampled students from first-generation backgrounds as well as historically marginalized communities to be as inclusive as we could be. That's beautiful. Well, and it shows. It's just beautiful artwork. I almost found myself spending more time going down paths and looking at challenges to see, are the turtles going to show up on this page or, you know, because they're just, they're just very cute. But I didn't realize that awkward animal was the, uh, intention. And I realized now why I like it so much because I identify with that completely. (laughs) Who doesn't? Right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think actually that brings up a a great point in that something you were saying earlier with, with loneliness, I think we all see how other people are living and make so many assumptions on them based on our own insecurities or struggles or whatever, you know, and and loneliness is no exception. And I think we all have kind of, now that we have phones, I think it's it's common for many generations to kind of have forgotten or never needed to make these type of connections. I'm curious your thoughts on if you were talking to an awkward animal adult, you know, and and they were talking about this and saying, you know, they had a hard time connecting with people. Is there like one big takeaway that you would tell someone that maybe doesn't fit the the college age as far as like how to get out there and connect and not feel so in their head about it? What's really nice about Nod and all our research is that we focused on college students, but a lot of the insights are very generalizable. So of course, the awkward animals, the languages, the tasks that we came up with are college specific. But when we have tested them with adults, with high schoolers and other groups, everyone really resonates with it. So it's important, those sort of three pieces are are really important in this process of first off, knowing that you're not alone. Unfortunately, when we look into the research, I know I said Gen Z is the loneliest living generation. That doesn't mean that other generations are all flourishing. Unfortunately, loneliness is, you know, hovering around 50% for a lot of the population in those generations. Secondly, it's really important to be willing to try and adopt what we call a growth mindset. So a growth mindset, just to to define that, is the belief that with effort, trying, practice, you can get better at just about anything. Nothing is fixed. So if folks can understand and treat it as an experiment of, you know what, I'm going to get out into the world and try interacting in a different way today and then tomorrow and build upon that. If I can do that and celebrate my successes, I can absolutely 
achieve and get the desired outcomes that I'm looking for. So I think those are really important things. Treat it like a science experiment. There's no magic bullet. Loneliness is not, A, it's not a formal diagnosis. B, there's no pill to help with loneliness. There isn't a quick fix. But being willing to get out there and give it a shot is important. Just a different data point that sort of speaks to this. An individual who graduated high school in 2000 compared to the year 2015 has had 50% less in-person interactions. So let me unpack that for a second. So, you know, when I wanted to find out the time a movie was playing when I was growing up, I had to call and call the movie theater, ask what time, ask what movie, figure all that out. If I had a romantic interest at school, I had to call that person's landline and explain to dad why I wanted to talk to Katie and make up some excuse about a homework assignment. All those little interactions actually build your resilience in your social skills in having these conversations. And of course, technology has unfortunately limited the need for a lot of those little interactions that can go a long way. But the other side of things is technology, everyone points to technology and says it's the root of all problems, you know, we need to get rid of it, whatever it might be. When the reality is that the jury's still out, it's less about how much we use technology and more about how we use technology. So for example, if I'm feeling lonely and I scroll on Instagram and just look at pictures and like, that might exacerbate my loneliness. But let's say I'm a minority international student on a campus in the Midwest. There aren't many students like me on my campus, but all of a sudden I can go online and connect meaningfully with students having a similar experience at other institutions. And I can actually build support, share my experience, get that normalization and build my coping mechanisms. I think we've all used Zoom in a different way than we ever would have expected in this last year and a half. And I know I've built some amazing connections via Zoom. I mean, you and Tony have never met. It seems like you two are, you know, know each other pretty well. So the how is super important in the context of all of this. And I think that's really what we do in our communities at SPI is, you know, find globally, find all these people with a similar vibe, if you will, and interests, and then just have these really outstanding relationships happen and collaborations. And there's always the good side to technology versus, you know, the dark side, (laughs) which of which there is much, you know, of course, but um, of course, yeah. When we look at college campuses, we know that even pre-pandemic, they were having a lot of difficulty keeping up with the mental health demands of students and college counseling centers can't keep up. And again, 67% of students experiencing loneliness, loneliness being a precursor for anxiety, depression, substance use, and suicidality. If we can intervene there and help even a small percentage of those students, we can have a huge impact on our systems of care by preventing those downstream consequences. And that's what gets me so excited because we can absolutely help students before there's a challenge and help them flourish in the way that they're hoping to. So NOD historically has been for incoming university students with partnered universities, but it sounds like you're looking at even intervening earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're at campuses across the nation now, which is great. We're having an impact in that space. And we actually are really lucky to have partnered and have been awarded a grant from the Upswing Fund as of January 2021 to transcreate NOD for the high school space. So in doing some research, we actually found that unfortunately, loneliness is also a very significant challenge for high schools. And our belief and my belief is a clinician is that the earlier we can intervene, the better. 
So with that, we partnered with an organization called the Colorado Education Initiative. They have very deep connections here in Colorado and we're co-designing. We did research just like we did with the initial development of NOD. And then we actually co-designed with a wealth of high schoolers to see what works. Does this land? Does this stick? And we found that a lot of things are very similar from college to high school, but there are a lot of different themes that high schoolers are looking for and desiring. So we're actually in the process of making those slight tweaks right now, and we'll be piloting with a handful of schools, school districts in the state of Colorado this fall with the hopes and intent of scaling beyond the state. That is just so exciting to hear. And this is one of those places where like, I think technology at its best, if you will, because you've created this really amazing thing that helps people solve a huge problem as, as we've been talking about with loneliness, but because it is this tech-based intelligence, if you will, it's so scalable. And that's just so wonderful because really like this should be in every adolescent's hand or phone, if you will. I think one of the more encouraging parts of it, that loneliness can be made worse by virtue of going online, being addicted to your phone, things like that. But um, we can also propagate really good ideas that help people more easily. You know, that's part of why we're having this conversation right now. One of the things I'm wondering, you know, we're looking at this through a few different lenses, but I'm wondering about the perspective of the organizer who is hosting some kind of a gathering, whether it be a team meeting or a meetup or or some kind of a social group or anything like that. And I just wonder, outside of kind of your main area of focus, do you have kind of top tips for anybody who's in a position to maybe help nudge people along in, in their journey to getting better at building relationships? One thing that's so important, let's just go with the work setting for a minute, is creating points of human connection. I think all too often we can hop right into a meeting and it's go, 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 and you're just off to the races solving whatever task it is. And I, again, clinical psychologist here, so this won't surprise you, but to me, it's very important to see how is everyone doing? What's up in life? Because I have the belief that if you're not doing well in life, we're not going to do anything here at work that's productive. But furthermore, finding points of commonality. I think it's very easy to forget that we are more similar than we are unlike one another. I don't care if you're cutting across age, gender, country lines, whatever it is. And finding ways to do that is so important. And one thing we did with Nod was we made these fun conversation cards, which were super simple. Jill, I know you know these so well, but they're simple things like questions like, what's the last song you sung out loud? What was your first concert? Little things like that, that can go such a long way. And I know people can't see it, but Tony just smiled. That goes such a long way. And you know what? Disarming something, someone and reminding we are human. And you know what? I do want to follow up with Tony about his first concert or the last song he sung out loud and figure out why that's the song that he picked. So consciously making the space to connect as people is so important in our society that feels so much more geared around productivity and getting the job done. And I think leaders have a very important role in fostering that. Tony is a music aficionado. So now we must know, Tony, what was the last song you sang out loud? I don't remember. And that's actually part of why it's so poignant for me, because singing is such an important part of my my own health and my soul and my energy. And if I go a long time without it, I wither and I can identify with that right now. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> We're ready for a song. Just belt it out, Tony. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> We're trying to gain podcast subscribers, not lose them. So you know, we'll, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> we'll save that for another time. I have been singing Blues Traveler's Hook like weekly. It's just great song. It's such a good song. And I think just the messaging of it is really relevant. And it's just one of those ones where, especially, you know, all us Gen X, Gen Yers, it's just like, suck it in, suck it. Like, you just get into that fast part, and it's just like, can you do it without breathing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in community, and, and especially digital community, and depending, you know, there's so many different types of communities, and some are very safe and authentic, and you know people deeply, and some are really big and wild, like Reddit, you know? I think it's so important because we've seen this happening in the last decade. You know, there's communities that are forming that are very closed off as far as the belief systems and what the community is about. And it's creating so much division and this whole like disarming conversations and finding commonality and really leaning into human connection and, hey, we may not agree politically or, you know, whatever, these big things that are very important to people, but there's always a common ground. There's always something you can find that you can connect on. And that is just humanity. And so really leaning into that, I think, is such an important part of where we are as a society right now, where technology has allowed us to connect, but also to kind of get in a bubble <laughs> and form an alternate reality almost. I'm curious just because you are so well, you know, obviously this is what you do and you and you you work in this. Like, is that something that you think about? It is. And I'd love to actually go on a little tangent. Bear with me. It's all gonna make sense in a, in a second. I'm the queen of tangents. I feel it. Yeah, that's that's what we do here. It's podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Um so some researchers back in the 1960s, there was a town called Rosetto. Rosetto, Pennsylvania. I might be butchering that name. Sorry if anyone's from there. But basically, this town was composed of folks who came from Italy, a town called Rosetta. And the town was pretty much exclusively made up of folks from that town. And a handful of doctors who were providing services to that group found out that after generations that no one under the age of 55 had ever died of coronary disease. So basically it kicked off this thing of like, we got to study these people and figure out what's going on. So they looked at what they ate. They're like, is it the olive oil? They looked at environmental factors. Is the air they breathe better than neighboring towns? They did all this work and basically they found nothing in conclusion from the medical side. So what they did was they brought in a bunch of social scientists to start peeling the layers of the onion back further. And what they found is there was this profound sense of community in that town. That if someone's kid got sick, you know what? They could go to the neighbor and they'd take care of it. If anything went wrong, the town had their back. And the whole learning from this is that when we have a sense of community, when we have that support, we actually extend our, our lifespan. We're less anxious. We're less depressed. We have less cortisol throwing, flowing between our veins because, you know what? We're not worried if something goes wrong because I know I have 10 people that I can turn to in my neighborhood. And I think that's what we've somewhat lost now. I think of so many neighborhoods where folks don't know their neighbors. They have no idea who lives across the street. And it, go, it takes a lot and it's hard in our modern go, go, go society. And I feel so lucky to know my neighbors and kids have brought us 
all together, but we have a bit of that feel of Rosetto, Pennsylvania. But I know so much of our country and the world right now simply does not have that. And I think it's on all of us to go out of our ways to start fostering that even in little, little ways. When you say in little, little ways, what does that mean to you? First off, it's simply knowing the names of your neighbors next door, <laughs> going out of your way to, you know, see what's up. Hey, um, you. <laughs> I know. Yeah. What's up with you? But from there, I feel like once we find those points of connection, we are so much more likely to offer support. When someone's unloading their groceries, if I know Bob across the street, it's much more likely that I say, hey, Bob, do you need a hand or vice versa? But until we start with that, again, humanizing all the people around us, I don't think we're going to get to any of those subsequent levels of being willing to give and receive support. So I guess nod for everyone maybe as a way to just start talking and feeling a little bit more comfortable. Or at least finding ways to get creative about making yourself visible and being that person who isn't afraid to kind of greet your neighbor as they walk by. Absolutely. Maybe having headphones in when I'm going for a walk around my neighborhood isn't exactly the most welcoming of conversations, for example. Nathan, one last little bit in terms of the means by which people connect and whether that has an effect on the quality of the connection. So if you have people connecting because they're all fans of, of Pokemon, that's like you know a certain level of interest versus if they're maybe passionate about the same kind of social good topic or that they're they're meeting because they're all going to do something of service to the community. Is that something that you guys play with in terms of like the kind of the different vehicles for connection that people use? It's, it's a really great question, Tony. And I'm going to answer it in a couple ways. So first off, in my opinion, you can connect over anything. You can connect over volunteering. You could also connect over a rock collection if that was something you're into, which my five-year-old is. But what's more important is if I'm connecting, let's just use the gaming world. If I'm connecting, playing, I don't know what's cool. Halo? Is Halo still cool? I'm just going to go with that. You're asking the wrong people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm not in there either. But if, Halo is definitely it. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Jillian. I feel confident. <laughs> um, if I'm connecting about that or Pokemon, but I'm just talking Pokemon and I'm not sharing anything about my human experience, that's what I would call a, a more surfacey connection. That doesn't mean that, hey, because Tony and I play Pokemon when I'm sick or if I need something, I can pick up the phone and call Tony. So with that, one of our most commonly engaged with nod tactics, if you will, or areas, themes, is actually how to get past the small talk. Because we know everyone kind of knows how to do that dance. How are you? I'm doing well. Oh, great. Let's play this game or let's do this thing. But how do I get to a, more, a relationship that has more sustenance? And a lot of our questions and ideas in Nod are about getting to those subsequent levels. So to get back to your question, yes, there's some activities that, of course, are a little bit more primed for that. If, for example, I'm meeting other parents when I'm dropping off my kid at preschool, inevitably your kid's going to do something that draws a conversation that makes you, you know, get a little bit deeper. But if I'm just connecting with my soccer team and I'm only playing soccer all the time, I might not get to that subsequent level. So again, it comes down to intentionality and being willing to push yourself out there to get to that next level of friendship, to practice things like self-disclosure, to practice skills like active listening. Those are all things that we really embed into Nod and make it very explicit that 
practicing this skill is going to help you be a better sharer. It's going to help you be a better listener. Those are the building blocks to get the relationships that you want and desire. Would you be up for just sharing what those techniques are in brief, explaining that? Active listening is so important. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. Active listening is all about really what we're doing here is really thoroughly and genuinely tuning in to what someone else is saying, listening for things that you might want to follow up on rather than just waiting and already thinking, Tony, as soon as you start talking, I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next. So it doesn't really matter what you say because I'm blurting out this. There's no connection there. When you do that, what you're not showing is that Hey, I listened to Tony and I asked a follow-up question related to something he really cares about. And then self-disclosure on the other side is basically doing the same thing in the opposite fashion. It's being willing to share something about yourself, whether it's that you're a music lover and you haven't sung a song out loud in a while, or that, you know, I'm a soccer player and I have an injury and I haven't been able to play for eight weeks, which has had a really added a lot of stress to my life because that's a coping mechanism. When I share that, that's what's likely going to pull someone to share a story about their own life. And that's going to draw us much closer. Awesome. Sounds like the word vulnerability comes about in that conversation as well. And Absolutely. Yeah, such a powerful <laughs> tool. Tony, I think you should take the hot seat questions if you're ready, Nathan, to answer some deep burning questions. Ready to go. Practicing some self-disclosure here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're doing it. This is it. Okay, so I'm just going to fire off these questions. Don't overthink it. Whatever comes to mind, totally cool. Yeah, just whatever comes off the cuff will be will be great. Ready. What did you want to be when you grew up? I'd say a soccer player, most likely. That makes sense. Kid's dream. Played all my life. Yep. How do you define community? Being able to give and receive support unconditionally. I love that. Ooh, unconditionally useful word in that context. <laughs> bucket list question. Something on your bucket list that you have done. Have done. It was on your list and you crossed it off. I love travel and I've tr been very lucky to have some, traveled to some very cool places throughout my life, both through sport and just through recreation. So I've definitely crossed off a handful of places that I wanted to visit. What was one of those top places? Yeah, fair enough. Um, I was lucky enough to study abroad in Fiji and I did some <laughs> research in very, very remote villages, like way out, like take a bus, then hike in, then take a horse. That was definitely a highlight, just going to some places like way, way, way off the beaten path. And their communities are very close knit, as you might guess. Stay tuned for part two of our podcast interview with Nathan for more on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have some great stories uh, from Fiji. I, I bet. Okay. Something on your bucket list that you have yet to do. Our oldest son's name is Rupin. My family is from India or part of my family. And there's a Rupin Pass in Kashmir. And I really hope to be able to hike that with him one day. Time will tell. Oh, that is a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I love that. He's probably not going to like hiking, but he's going anyway. He's so. going. <laughs> it's my bucket list. <laughs> okay, a book that you are loving. Why Sleep Matters. This is bringing the uh, nerdy clinical psychologist in me. Sleep is so freaking important to all that we do. If you haven't read it, 
read it. Maybe it's probably loneliness epidemics, number one, sleep epidemic, probably number two is what this book has taught me. Amazing. And if you could live anywhere else in the world other than where you live, where would it be? So I'm just going to go with, it's somewhere I lived, but Northwest Montana, just outside of Glacier National Park. I was lucky enough to live there for a couple years and it's incredible. Weather's great, cloudy, gloomy winters, but a lot of water, not a ton of people, and actually a commonality. There's a great sense of community there. There's an amazing blog. You know, when you're in small towns, everyone kind of waves to each other when you're driving about why people do that. It's fascinating because oh. um, you don't do that in the big city. You don't wave to everyone that you drive past. But even if you don't know them, when you're in Lost Prairie, you wave because you never know who that person is and when you might need their support because you're pretty isolated in places like that. That is fascinating. I 100% do that. Like where I live now, it's it's small. And we certainly, like you wave when you're walking and stuff, but not driving. But when we go to, my husband's family has a remote cabin, you wave at every single person. It's just what you do. Yeah. It's a fascinating, like psychological yeah. sort of thing, but it's also fascinating of what it communicates and what it means for sure. Never thought about it, but it is. It's deep. It's a survival mechanism. Yeah, totally. You hit the nail on the head there. Amazing. We'll save it for part two. Okay. Last one. This is a deep one. How do you want to be remembered? Oh, that is a deep one. Tony, bring it in the big ones. I hope I am remembered as someone who made a difference and made the world a better place. I know that's so cliche, but if I could do that even like 1%, that would be a huge win for me. Whether that's through kids, community, my work, any of those. And I'm going to add one more thing. I've been so lucky to combine my passions with my work, with my professional life. And in doing that, I know it's so cliche, but work doesn't always feel like work. And I can have an impact and be able to support myself and family. And I hope folks can find that because it's, it's an amazing balance to be able to have. Right on, my man. I'm very excited to follow your journey and, and Godspeed to you. Thank you, Tony. Love your questions. So, Nathan, where can people find you and your work? Yeah, so gritdigitalhealth.com. That's all about our organization. You can learn about all of our work there. We have interventions to help working-aged men, the corporate space, and most specifically college. But then to learn more about Nod and see some of those awesome illustrations, the website is heynod.com. You can also always email me or find me on LinkedIn. I'm around and love connecting. Love all that you're doing. And uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Take care. See you both. All right, Jillian, thank you again for bringing Nathan into my world. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, shout out to the whole Grit team. They're lovely. I've had opportunity to do a little bit of work with some of them, those that were working on the Nod app. Uh, but honestly, check out their website. It's gritdigitalhealth.com. They have a few programs going on. This is not the only one. And the other organization he mentioned, Hope Lab, is also just like knock your socks off. Amazing. If you're into, you know, kind of like nonprofit where nonprofits meet Silicon Valley tech, they partner with nonprofits and help them really accelerate their tech stack in just such beautiful ways. Like whenever you're, if you're ever feeling down, go check out both those organizations and you'll feel better knowing that there are people in the world doing 
the light work doing the work to support other humans, which always makes my heart happy. And I'm so proud to have been a part, a very sliver, small part of one of their projects. I got a lot of amazing takeaways from this conversation that I think would be valuable to a lot of the folks listening as a organizer and as an attendee, even just somebody, you know, if you're just trying to make new connections out there in the world. So yeah, and I think one of the most kind of poignant things that jumped out at me in our conversation is the fact that we can't assume people know how to make friends. And I've seen bits of evidence about this in other conversations, but it's true. You know, there's a lot of event programming out there that more or less in terms of the social side of things, just kind of throws people in a room and says, go talk. One million percent. I fucking hate it. And so one of my takeaways from that, from that takeaway, then kind of the extension is look for ways to make it easier for people to connect in meaningful ways. Give people prompts that are likely to elicit more substantial conversations, more vulnerability. Yeah, I think, you know, as as Nathan mentioned, self-disclosure and and granted knowing like the boundaries of how much disclosure, you know, you want to go for if it's just meeting someone for the first time, but being willing to put yourself out there a little bit, you know, kind of put out a flare like, "Hey, I'm human and I have vulnerabilities." And then just see if the people you're talking to are receptive to that. And not everyone is. I mean, it doesn't have to be like, what's your deepest, darkest secret? But it could be, what's the last song you sang out loud? Which, Tony, have you put more thought into that since <laughs> since I put you on the spot earlier? <laughs> I, it was, I don't know specifically, but I'm sure that it was just something that I sang and danced with my girlfriend in the apartment at some point. Oh, precious. In the last couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think for another takeaway, I think it's important to acknowledge that we might sometimes feel bad if we struggle to make connections in a context in which other people are not struggling to make connections. I think more people need to not blame themselves for struggling to make connections in circumstances where, frankly, the organizers didn't really create the right circumstances for those connections to come about. And I think that expands into just day-to-day life too. I mean, something that Nathan brought up, and well, something we talked about a little bit about the Nod app that I really, really appreciate is that part of the process, like you get a challenge and it might be like, ask someone in your class if they want to meet up to share notes as an example. And that might not actually be one, but let's just for argument's sake, that just sounds familiar in my brain. But then in the app, you say like, I did it or I didn't do it. And then depending, you go through this path, you're like, I did it. Then there's a reflection on like, how did it go? And if it didn't go great, it's like, that's okay. Let's, let's reflect on it. And I think it's really important for all of us to, although we may not have access to the Nod app, you know, to allow ourselves to reflect on those situations, especially the ones that leave us feeling kind of meh or like down and be like, oh, I tried something. I, it's an experiment and this is the result I had. So maybe next, instead of giving up next time, I'm going to try it differently. I think it's super important. Which, by the way, is a great way of approaching a lot of things, especially anything that can be emotionally charged, anything around self-improvement. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me that, that came across was just the importance of finding commonality amongst other people. And 
it's okay, especially in, in different situations, whether it's a college campus, a digital community, your church, you're in this group and there was some sort of commonality, but whoever you talk to, you can find commonality with any other human being and you can find something to talk about that's positive. Absolutely. I think one of the paths out of the very divisive and toxic kind of culture that we're witnessing unfolding right now is to give people better ways to humanize each other outside of the context of the more controversial topics. You know, there's probably people... Let's just say it. It's politics. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's probably people who are flaming each other online, on the internet, anonymously, um, who under different circumstances would be very friendly in real life. And that doesn't mean... It's like Patriots fans and everybody else, you know? Like, you can still find something in common with a Patriot fan. (laughs) Surely. It's okay. I think that kind of rounds out, that brings us to an excellent place, which is something I just thought was hilarious with Nathan was talking about, you know, they they realized all of this wonderful research information they had geared to college students, they needed it to be, the vibe had to be on par with college students, the Zoomers, and a bunch of stuffy Gen X, you know, whatever we are, Gen X millennial hybrids, they don't care what we think, even if we're the ones that figured out the research. And so they really spent a lot of time. It was very thoughtful coming up with the awkward animals and the branding and the messaging so that when a college age student whose school was participating in their programming and had access to this app, when they saw the posters on campus and got the app, it would feel young. It would feel like them. They would connect to it on that level. And that's super important when you think about even just like business or anything and just like audience connection and how you message to your audience. And then I I think just one last thing, which I think is valuable when I think in terms of a, a systemic standpoint, but I think it's probably useful in other contexts as well, is recognizing that a problem is sometimes more about the perception than the reality. And the loneliness epidemic is a really good example of this where, yes, there are some people who do not have friends, who need to make more friends, who need to make more connections. And my natural assumption in trying to tackle that epidemic was exactly that. Let's help people make more friends. It wasn't until I discovered some of that research that said, well, actually, some people actually do have a network of people that they could rely on, that they could consider to be a sufficient support system for them. They just don't realize it and they don't know how to engage it. Maybe in tackling the loneliness epidemic, the issue is less about helping people make more friends. And it could be that it's helping people recognize the connections that they already have, the people who are already looking forward to hearing from them. I think in a more generalizable way, that probably applies to a lot of other problem-solving contexts. You know, just because you see a problem doesn't mean that you need to solve exactly that problem. Figure out why people think it's a problem first and make sure that it's not a perception issue. Well, that was just such a fun conversation. Learn more about the work Nathan is doing at gritdigitalhealth.com. You can check out the awkward animal splendidness. See if you can find my two 
sassy flamingos in roller skates at heynod.com. And of course, you can find Tony and I on the Twitter sphere at Team SPI. Why don't you go out today, tomorrow, in the real world, if it's safe for you to do that right now with this fun pandemic, and maybe just say hello to someone or maybe challenge yourself to interact with someone in a way that maybe is a little past your comfort zone or your regular, and then shoot shoot us a tweet and let us know how it went. And hey, if it crashed and burns, that's okay because it's just an experiment. This has been the Community Experience. For more information on this episode, including links and show notes, head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash listen. Learn more about the work Nathan does at gritdigitalhealth.com. You can also follow Nathan on Twitter. It's at doc underscore Demers. That's D-E-M-E-R-S. And Nathan has a website, nathandemers.com. Remember, Nathan is N-A-T-H-A-A-N-D-E-M-E-R-S. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our series producers are David Grabowski and senior producer Sarah Jane Hess. Editing and sound design by Duncan Brown. Music by David Grabowski. See you next time. 